Hey everyone, it's Tom Kradza, and on this episode of the Your Life, Your Term show, we bring on Adam Kitchener from rentunlimited.ca. So he's a property manager, and listen, we actually have not used Adam as a property manager ourselves. Most of the people we bring on, we know them, are they're professionals we've used, or their clients, or the rock star members, investors we know, people we've known for years. Adam's just done a really good job of following up with us about wanting more and more business from investors that we work with. I finally broke and said, hey, I have a bit of time on my hands right now with everything going on. Why don't you come in and I'll get to know you through the podcast. So we brought him in and this is us getting to know Adam Kitchener and his background. He's a young guy getting started and he actually has Wait to hear the story, actually. He has quite a bit of experience for such a young guy, and just how he got into business is an interesting story. So I'll let you listen to the podcast episode to see how he evolved into a property manager and what he's doing now. So uh, yeah, we'll leave it at that. But I just want to make sure we're all clear that this is someone we're just getting to know. So if you do reach out to him, you know, do your due diligence. Seems like a good guy, but check him out for yourself as with all professionals, even if they are friends of ours, make sure you are checking out who you are working with before you sign on the dotted line. And if you are listening to this and you want some real estate information, I think one of the areas we've spent a bit more time than usual in the last few weeks is on our YouTube channel. We have a series of YouTube videos covering, you know, demand and supply in Toronto and what, how that might affect property prices going forward, um, inflation and deflation. We talk, the latest one is a little talk about the economic indicators that we like and how we are looking at those indicators, what we anticipate from those indicators going forward over the next six to 12 months and then beyond that over the next decade. You can find those videos at youtube.com forward slash rockstar inner circle. So that's our rockstar inner circle YouTube channel and you can get to it at www.youtube.com forward slash rockstar inner circle. And with that, let's get on with the show. Are you ready to live life on your terms? Is it time to take charge? Real estate, business building, the economy, health and nutrition, and more. It's the Your Life, Your Term Show with Tom and Nick Carazza. Are you ready? Let's go. We are live with Adam Kitchener. And I was just saying, Adam just did the classic sales technique of, because we don't really know each other too well. You've come in here a bunch of times. I know some, I know we were just talking about how more than Rockstar members listen to this podcast and I'm going to bring up Rockstar members right out of the gates. Some Rockstar members I do believe are using you for um, property management and uh, you just kept following up saying, Tom, I want to come to your events. I want to come and chat with the team. And I think I just kept pushing you away. But yeah. you're to your, to, I mean, it's just a really, a, it's just a testament to the power of follow-up. You just never went away, dude. You just kept following up. And now because we don't have big events going on, we don't have our team meetings. I just broke down and said, okay, come on, let's talk on the podcast. So, so here you are. So congratulations for busting through any gatekeeping action that we had. I appreciate it. Thank you for letting me on the podcast. No, well, it's not even really letting you on or just the end. And thank you for being here, but you, you got to walk me into this. How does somebody get into fruit? freaking property. The reason I say freaking property management is if anyone's out there is listening and you haven't owned a piece of rental property and just dealt with rental property in a whole, I think when I read the books about passive investing and owning real estate as a passive investment, I think that's how you all get started in real estate. You just think it's this like passive flow of money and you don't realize it's an actual real business until you have that moment. And you're like, oh shit, 
I actually have to go deal with this flood or toilet or roof on a Sunday afternoon in the middle of my family's birthday party. Like I actually have to go and do this stuff now. And it just hits you like a ton of bricks. Like this is not passive investing. This is an actual real business when you own income property. So I guess my question is, how did you even get started in this path of property management? Because you're young. How old are you? Uh, 27. Like how did you, how did you get to this point? I grew up in the business. My parents bought investment properties when I was a kid. So, um, naturally when you're a kid, you kind of look up to your parents and you're like, Oh, I'm going to do what they're going to do. He was also, you know, uh, if, if he was a mailman, I would have wanted to be a mailman. So luckily he said real estate and, and I got down that path. Um, and so from a very young age, I got the entrepreneurial bug. Um, we were, you know, uh, we had two properties and I just, it hit me. I was like, okay, how do I take this and make it bigger? You know? And, um, and so as early as like 14, 15, I was out, I was doing anything I could to make a dollar because my goal was 18 years old. I'm going to buy an investment property. Um, I was, you know, working for different companies, painting apartments, putting in kitchen cabinetry, uh, painting balconies, whatever I could do to make a dollar. I had spun off 13 different businesses, just trying to figure out some way to make a dollar. Every single one of them I failed at and was terrible, which you expect when you're 15, 16, right? But, um, and then next thing you know, when I was uh, 18 years old, I went to the bank and I was like, all right, here's my down payment. Give me a mortgage. It didn't happen. Obviously, I had no credit history. I had none of the, you know, to, to get a loan, it's, it's, a, it's a process. And they're like, come back to us in a couple of years. I'm like, well, I'm ready now. What am I supposed to do now? Like, I, I got I to do something. The other thing that was, you know, because I grew up in the environment and I was exposed to this, I wanted to be a property manager. Well, the problem is who's going to trust a $20 million building to an 18 year old as competent or incompetent that I might have, might not have been, there's not a chance in hell I can make that argument. So the only thing that I can really do is something else. I've got to figure something I can do for the time being, um, because my age has always been an obstacle, um, in, in, in business. And it's the one thing that I can't actually do. I can change everything about myself or my business or, or, uh, you know, even my wealth, I can grow my wealth, I can lose my wealth, but I can't change my age. I can't make myself older. I can't create years of experience that don't exist. So I just decided to take a side venture. I started another business and I would come back to it later. Um, I ended up running a private, uh, private hire car service and driving some of the world's uh, most established businessmen and women, entertainers, um, musicians, the whole nine yards. And, How did you uh, get that clientele? The same way I got Rockstar to give me an interview today. <laughs> you just called them? I called every dragon on the dragon's den. I called them. I didn't show up on the show. I called Robert Herjavec's office and said, I want to drive Robert Herjavec to the airport every day. And out of the five dragons, one of them gave me a call and it was Robert Herjavec. No way. Yeah. So you drove this guy for a little while? I did. I did. It was actually his, his, his secretary and she calls me up and she says, okay, Adam, we've got your email. We got your phone call. We got your paperwork. We need a bus. I'm like, um, okay. They're like, do you have any buses? I was like, oh yeah, totally. I, I know a guy. That was a lie. Um, but I'm like, I've got Robert Herjavec on the phone. What am I going to do? Say, no, no I totally, can't help totally. you. I'm with you. I'm with you. Totally. So I arranged for a bus to pick up all of his employees and take them to the airport. And then next thing you know, now I'm driving Robert Herjavec. And then I use that as leverage to get every other client after that. I would take him to a meeting or I would pick up another client. Uh, I drove to his private jet. I walked into the private jet office. I says, Hey, I just picked up Robert Herjavec. Who else can I pick up? So how long did you drive this guy around for? Uh, five years. I did that business <laughs> from 2010 to 2015. 
And, and I'm assuming you had good chats with the guy. Um, fantastic. Absolutely. I learned so much. I met the owner of DeFasco, uh, like, uh, um, Arsler middle, the, the billionaire out of India. Um, I don't even know who that is. Lakshmi Mattel. Just referral based. You're meaning these referral based. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the owner of Samsung. Uh, I did the BlackBerry Z10 launch or Q10 launch. One of them right around 2013, they launched a brand new phone. We did that. The owner of Samsung. The like owner. Like there's one owner in Samsung's, South Korea. Samsung's a public company, but I guess there's a majority owner of some sort. Well, I guess he's he's maybe a majority or minority shareholder. Yeah, got he was it. like the CEO got it. guy, right? Did you, um, a, did you get a free phone out of that deal? I'm no. joking. Do you remember when the Samsung yeah. phone started blowing up for a little while? Not yes. blowing up, but they were uh, lighting on fire and all yep. that kind of stuff. Anyway, keep going. Okay, what happens in that? Uh, Who else are you driving around? We did BlackBerry, which was funny because I had to actually go and buy a BlackBerry when I did that job. And then I had to go buy a Samsung when I did the other job. So I lost a couple hundred bucks on buying unnecessary phones just so I wasn't seen with another product. Um, and then uh, Uber started coming in right around 2014, 2015. And I'm thinking to myself... I can't, I can promote, like I would go into Bay Street offices, give my business card. Whenever I would drop someone off and I had dead time between calls, I was walking into an office and saying, here's my business card. Give me a call. Why are you so comfortable with sales? When you were younger, you said your dad was in the real estate business. Who did you see him or your mom sell? Like, where's that coming from? Most people aren't as comfortable with sales as you seem to be. Uh, the comical story that I tell everyone is I got rejected a lot in high school by girls. So... That's that how I your, learned. That was your sales strategy? That was my sales strategy. I got, I get told no all the time. You want to go on a date? No. Oh, okay. I guess, you know, I'll go from there. Yeah. So okay. this, yeah. It, if I could go back and tell my 16 year old self, Hey, you know, it's okay being kind of ugly. Cause you know, this is going to help in business later. <laughs> oh man. All right. So you, uh, so you listen to you, you get your sales skill, you, you get your, your, your sales chops from, uh, from high school. You go on, you start this bit well, this is one of the businesses that you started. And then does this eventually, then you, when you see Uber on the horizon, what then you quit and you stop that business entirely? Basically, you know what the, the sales comes from, because, um, I'm not one to accept. No, I've had, I wouldn't say that uh, I had like a difficult or a hard life, but I had to work for everything that I had. So at the end of the day, when, uh, if I want something, I'm going to go get it. I've got to go earn it. No one's going to buy me a car. No one's going to give me buildings, you know, yeah, my parents had a couple properties themselves, but were no means wealthy. So if I was going to go out and buy a building, I had to pay for it myself. Well, if I'm going to pay for it myself, I got to work for it. Everything that I learned, I had to work for. So it, it's basically business has been for the last, my teenage years was trial and error, which is what do I need to do to earn a buck? Failing, figuring out. And, and by the time I was ready to actually go out into the world, I was, you know, and I'm still learning now, but basically it's been, you know, how do I turn this no into a yes? And I realized that it's always a no until someone eventually changes their mind or hears something else or keeps hearing about you and the good things that you're doing or, you know, um, so basically you just have to keep pounding on that door until it opens. Um, now there's a difference between harassing and, and, and sales, but basically I have nothing to lose. If I came here and if I, if I had sent you that email and you had ignored it, okay, I sent you an email on a Sunday at 12. What else was I doing? I was watching Netflix, mm -hmm. sending out emails mm -hmm. to investors saying, would you like to buy a building or would you like to, you know, or can I manage your property? So I had a chance to either get on a podcast or I could have done nothing. If you had said no, I was still in the same place. Same thing. Every time I go up to a businessman and he says no, I'm still in the exact same area. It doesn't cost me money to hear no from somebody. So 
just ask. It's free. Um, when I was growing that business, the way I grew it initially was I picked up the phone book and I opened the phone book and I called businesses that I thought were relevant. And, and that's what I think people need to do. Not so much with the phone book. Look up Google. Look up these, the people who you want to get in front of. Find out how to get in front of them. So no mentors in your life other than your family? There was no other person guiding you through this? Any book? Like how, you, You've come to some pretty advanced realizations about business pretty early on. Any books or anything guiding you? Or is this all trial, oh, trial and error? I read, I read all the time. Okay. I read a lot of books, uh, when I, especially when I was younger. I used to read all the time. Um, I would watch business people on TV and figure out what they're doing. Um, and then once I started the car business, that was like opening the floodgates for inspiration because I was getting to sit in the same car or I was in control of the vehicle that held millions or billions of dollars worth of people in the back seat. And now you're not meant to drill them for questions, but you can listen to them talk. You can pick up on things. And the other thing too, is you get to learn their lifestyle, um, and how they run their business. And so being in the same vehicle or being in the same room as some of the world's most powerful businessmen and entertainers and whatnot, you'd, you'd be foolish not to pick up a couple things, you know, pick up a couple uh, tidbits on how they, how they, I'm, I'm putting you on the spot with this because yeah. I haven't prepped you for anything. I'm going to ask you, I've been yeah. asking you so far, anything you picked up from their lifestyle, some of the way some of these guys live that really stood out. Any, anyone in particular make an impact on you with something they did said the way they lived. The one thing that I've noticed is you always get what you want the most. And that's something that every businessman knows. People like to say, like they say, real estate is passive. No, it's not. And realist and, and business, you can, you can have a life balance. No, you can't. The most successful businessmen that I have met don't have balance in their life. The minute you hit that threshold of, you know, multi-billion dollars, there's a lack of balance. You cannot put the same amount of effort into growing a company and into your personal or social or you know, um, family life. It's just not going to happen. Um, so take that as you will, but the, your success threshold is all going to be based on what you prioritize. So the more you prioritize your business, the farther you're going to go. If you're looking for a little bit more balance or there's things you're not willing to sacrifice, then you're not going to be as successful. And that's okay. Like that's something I learned as well as I don't need to be a billionaire. That's, that's a, an imaginary. It's, it's, it's not a threshold I need to hit. I can be successful. The other thing too is there is no number associated with success. That was another thing that I learned because I would look at a guy who's worth $15 billion and I would see another guy who's worth $200 million. And there's really no difference between the two. The only thing that's different is how they prioritize their life. You know, um, So you can look at um, and, and the choices that they made and the decisions that they made because also you know, some businessmen are more cutthroat. They're willing to, you know, stand on someone else's back to get to the top. Well, for some others, they are not willing to make that step. So their net worth might not be as high, but they also have maybe a little bit more honor or a little bit more dignity or whatever. Just integrity. I, I, integrity, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So I'm not here to fault or say one is better than the other. I'm just saying that you can't put a number on wealth. You can't put a number on success. Your success is based on where you started and where you finished. Um, and how you far you want to go is based on how you want to prioritize that. And yeah. that's something I learned from, from driving the, in the front seat of a car with a bunch of the world's most powerful people. The, the, the car that you were driving, did you just rent that car? Uh, in many cases I had to, um, but no, I went out and I bought a Mercedes Got it. and, okay. uh, just upgraded it as the clients, uh, got better. 
Okay. Yeah. Cool. Um, You're saying something really important. I think in business, something that's taking me, I did not know this at 27, at the ripe old age of 27, as you already know this, I, I realized that in business, you cannot have balance when you're trying to create momentum to get to the next level. And what I mean by that is if you're starting at zero and you're trying to get somewhere, you need to invest enough energy in the business to create momentum to just get it off the ground to let's say the first six, six figures of annual revenue or something Correct. like that. And then if you're gonna take it from six figures to seven figures, there, that also requires enough energy to create enough momentum to move it from there. So when you're moving stages in business, um, it does take a lot of energy. I have found that when you hit a level that you are somewhat happy with, content with, comfortable with, whatever, you can tweak that a little bit to bring back balance into your life because the energy to sustain a certain level isn't the same energy that's required to grow to the next level. Correct. If that makes sense. So that's what I found and Nick and I have found in our lives. We're like, okay, you can tweak this if you're re if it's time to grow again. You can buckle down and go all in. And at that time, when I was reading books that were talking about life balance, I, I used to get so confused because I'm like, I don't understand how to create balance between a young family and a growing business and my own friend or my own social network and then my own you know, fitness and that kind of stuff. It took me a long time to realize like, holy smokes, the energy it takes to really grow a business doesn't permit me to have balance at this time. But over a period of 10 years, for for instance, maybe you can't have balance. But Correct. in the, the, the one year, 18 month windows or five year, whatever you're doing, if you're going a billion dollar business, maybe it's 15, 20 year lifetime, whatever it is, it's tough to have balance. So for you to figure that kind of stuff out at 27 is really quite amazing, Adam. I'm very impressed. Good for you. That's a, that's a good one. It took me a lot. See, I'm not nearly as smart as you. It took me a long time to figure <laughs> this stuff out. But uh, that's cool. You, you had a little hack to the system driving these guys around. So how do you transition then? From that, you see Uber, what happens? You're, you, when you see Uber, do you completely shut down or you're like, oh, that's a threat to my business model? What, what do that's you do? a threat. I saw that industry. I mean, I was actually kind of working on something similar to them. They just beat me to the $50 billion mark by $50 billion. Um, I had everything set up for an app. I was going to basically turn the limo business into the McDonald's where you can go from one city to the next um, and ride in the same car, you'd know your driver, he'd have a suit and tie, he'd have your coffee order ready. It was like Uber, but ultra Uber. Like it was a high-end Uber. And the idea is that the, the business people that I was dealing with would use this. So when they say to me, Adam, I need a driver in Miami, which is what happened, they'd say, I need you to book me a car in Miami. The problem is I'm not in Miami. So I don't know if the guy's good. I can't look at the cars. So my idea was to set a standard and have people franchise into this business. So the idea is that you would log into the app, it would be uh, a car based on the same standards that I'm holding mine to. And you can go from city to city to city and expect the same car, the same. And the good thing is we could personalize it to the client too. So I would know your shirt size. I knew the shirt sizes. I knew how they took their coffee. I knew the anniversaries of their wedding, you know, everything. Why? Because that's the stuff that makes it different. That's the customer experience. That's not just picking you up in a taxi cab. That's the thing that Uber lacks. But seeing Uber come in, I realized I need to get out before they take me out. So I started looking for an exit strategy. And no matter what I do, I always have an exit strategy. And I still was getting that real estate itch. I had some, you know, I had this business going and I'm like, okay, now I've got to go buy some property. I got to, you know, I've built my credit. I've shown the bank that I can earn money. You know, there's no reason why they won't give me a mortgage. So then that's, that was my next step was, you know, I started buying property. Um, from there I, st I got a where, job. Where did you grow up? I forgot to ask. 
I grew up in Brampton for the longest time. Okay. Uh, then I moved to Hamilton, and I've been there pretty much ever so since. So did you buy uh, did you, your first property as an investment? Was it in Hamilton as well? Brantford. Oh, Brantford. Nice. Yeah. Okay. I couldn't. I couldn't afford Hamilton. I don't know. Well, yeah, Brantford's not exactly cheap, but maybe when you bought, there was there's always yeah. a bit of a price difference for sure. Much. Yeah, yeah. It, it was cheaper. Actually, the year we bought in 2016 was the uh, 2017 was the best year to buy in Brantford, and I bought the year before. And then I went to Woodstock and bought a place there. And that was the best year to buy in 2018. Who's telling you it's the best year to buy? I don't what know. I read an article that? somewhere. <laughs> the, announcing the best year to buy properties. Was in 2018 yeah, was Woodstock. Yeah, got or, it. Um, or the best place to buy in Woodstock was in 2018. Got it, got it. And, uh, and I bought the year before that. So I saw a huge appreciation in those, in those assets. Um, and I've basically been recycling my same, the same money over and over again because I continue to renovate and then refinance the, the Burr method, right? Sure, Everyone, yeah, I'm not yeah, going to... Yeah kill that one but you know everyone's done the burn method and i keep recycling that money to keep continuing to buy properties from there but i ended up getting a job in the industry as a project manager renovating apartments and they they liked the fact that i had that real estate perspective because i thought the way their customers thought and i guess that's something that i've always focused on was what are my customers thinking about all the time um so i ended up doing some renovation work uh, as a project manager and then i got approached by another company and uh one of the clients that was there, they said to me, you know, we've got this property, it's struggling, we'd like you to have a shot. And this place had 80 vacancies, it was run down. Um, so apartment building, obviously, apartment building. in Hamilton area? Hamilton. Hamilton area, okay. Rough part of town. Okay. Bad reputation. Okay. There's laws made, there's bylaws because of that building. It was a very, very rough building. Nice. And this is uh, where you get your start. This is where I got my, my, my start. You know what? At the end of the day, um, I'm a young guy. No one's going to give me the easy stuff, right? No, of course not. Um, so, and it's like you go into any business, even if you went into like a Fortune 500 corporation as an account manager and you think you're on easy street, you're always going to get the worst accounts at the beginning. No one's going to give you like the best juicy accounts, right? You're always going to get the green field and try and make it make a sale in the middle of nothing. Exactly. So this is how it's done. So good for you. But I'm sure there's some interesting, uh, I'll let you evolve the story. So yeah, what how, you, you you take this thing over as the property manager? Is that what happened? I was the property manager. There was another property manager at the time and the super kept coming to me for advice. He's like, Adam, you know, I know you got this property property that you've fixed up. Can you, can you tell me about this one? I was like, I'm just the guy who puts, you know, tells the guy to put the kitchen up. You know, wh why are you asking me? He's like, well, my property manager doesn't know. And he's like, I'm going to tell my boss about you. Next thing you know, the boss comes to me and I was like, well, I'm kind of working for someone else. You know, I don't want to step on toes, but anyways, I entertained the offer. I ended up taking over and so they got rid of the other property manager? Well, you, you were long before I stepped in, but yeah, they, okay, they it. had fired the guy and then okay. they approached me and, uh, I was like, all right, give me a couple months. And we basically filled 80 units in 10 months. So how did you fill 80? It was obviously a building that no one wanted to live in. Yep. How did, so how did you fill the 80 units? Part of that was luck and of timing. Uh, Wh we, why was that? The Syrian refugee crisis happened at that time. Oh, got it. That yep. was, uh, I forgot about that. And a lot of... Uh, of those Syrian refugees went into the Hamilton area and yep. needed housing. Yeah. So was that the government then that, uh, who, hmm, how, yeah, how did that, how did that work? Sorry. I'll I leave. reached out to them and I said, Hey, you guys have got a lot of people who are looking for homes. I've got homes and we were cleaning up the building. I had had to evict the pretty much the remaining 80 that was still there because they didn't pay rent. They were causing issues. There was gangs, there was prostitution. There was all sorts of fun stuff in that building. Um, we cleaned up all of the, how did you wait? Hold on a second. how did you go through that eviction process? That, that sounds like it was going to be a horror story. You it was, made, you made it, you just did the standard tenant, uh, tenant board process. You were just issuing N4s, yep. 
L1s to the tenant board? Did you, you, uh, back then, Nick and I used to go to the tenant board representing some of our investors before we knew, we didn't even know that you couldn't. So we thought if an investor was going to go, a landlord, we would just go on their behalf because we had been there before. Yep. And we just started speaking to the adjudicator. We didn't know that I think now you actually have to be like a, para, a property manager or you, a paralegal or whatever it is. You have to be a licensed paralegal. Yeah. So I would go with a licensed paralegal. Okay. But the pro, well, the problem with it is a paralegal is not the property manager. So they have the paperwork. They have the I's dotted and the T's crossed. But I'm the guy who gives them the information. Your, your paralegal is only as useful as the information that you give them. So I would go to the court with them. I would be the one who's saying, this is what's going on. This is the behavior that's going on. This is the real side of the story. Um, and, and back up the paralegal. So I always say that a paralegal, you always should hire a paralegal, especially if you're working on your own or managing your own stuff. But you also need to give them the right tools. So a property manager and paralegal side by side working together to work towards a positive result that's how you're going to get that's it. powerful you're yeah. right you're actually touching on something we believe about life like you have to quarterback your own life in all regards like if you hire a banker to get a mortgage you should be feeding them the information that they need that's going to work to your advantage to make sure they have the complete story about your financial picture if you're dealing Correct. with a lawyer same kind of thing a paralegal a property manager you always want to be your accountant we feel that you can really streamline your life by really serving the professionals that you hire Correct. If that makes sense, yep. right? Like you hire the professional, but then you serve them by like helping them with the, all the information that you could possibly give them to make their life easier. And then you form a dialogue and you can really get a lot of stuff done. It sounds like that's what you were doing with the property manager. I could, exactly. just, see you, I could just see you pretty fearless in front of an adjudicator with the property, with, sorry, with the paralegal. So, okay. So you get, um, you get then, I guess, orders for eviction Yep. because of non-payment of rent most of the time. I and guess, behavior. Behavior, yep. so reasonable enjoyment of the property by the neighbors, kind of thing. Damage, violence. Oh. I mean, this building oh, had everything. It. Oh, it, it. It, okay. it was, you know, a rough building. Okay, this is next level. Yep. Okay, okay. So, so you get these evictions. You go through evicting these people. Yeah. Who you reach out to the Syrian? I guess the community. There's a Syrian community in Hamilton. Maybe you reach out to them. Yes. Okay. Uh, we worked with a lot of nonprofits, low income um, housing agencies, and the refugee claimants. And basically opened our doors. We, we had to reinvent the building. We had to reopen the building. So we, you know, renovated all the apartments, refinished all the hallways. And now when the I say o- re- the, the owner was willing, because I'm sure they're not super high end renovations, correct. but still required some money. So we, the owner was, was willing to put, invest into this building? Yes. Well, willing is one way to say it. But the other answer was he had no other choice. I mean, when we okay. walked in, there was no kitchens on the walls. There was no heating vents. There was nothing... This building had taken its its beating and like this is this was one of the roughest buildings that I'd ever seen. So when I say I need a kitchen, it's not like we're going to replace the one from the 1940s. You needed a sink. It's, there's no wall oh with God. cabinets in the entire Holy apartment. Smokes, so yeah, I mean, so we went in and we renovated these apartments. We made them really nice. And the great thing about it is uh, these Syrian refugees uh, were absolutely fantastic tenants and they were getting turned down left, right and center. Nine out of 10 landlords said, nope, nope, mm. nope, nope. And I was like, come on in. And awesome. I couldn't be happier with them. They were absolutely fantastic. And then we reintroduced the building uh, to the neighborhood. Uh, CBC, Spectator, CHCH, they had done a number of articles on the building in the past and, you know, anywhere from 2012 to 2015 talking about the terrible conditions. And I told them, I says, well, why don't you come back and see what we've done? And uh, CHCH and the Spectator came back and rewrote new articles about the up 
dated. Did I see a video of you on CHCH or something talking about the building or was that something else? That was another one. Oh, was that, that another? I, I feel yeah. like I, ta- I saw you talking to a reporter outside some building or I don't know why that's in my brain, but I have this memory of the, something. I've been on CHCH a couple times, so might've been the one yeah. or it might've been another one. Okay. But the great thing was the timing was fantastic. It was November the 8th, 2016, which is the day of the Hillary Trump election. The day that Donald Trump was elected the uh, president of the United States, I was the second story on CHCH. <laughs> it was a Tuesday, which is a terrible news day. But everyone on this particular Tuesday was glued to their television set to see what was going on in America. And they got to see me as well. And the floodgates opened. I got calls all over the place saying, just saw you on the news. Can you do that for me? What, like, come, come see my property. So, what do you come, mean? so from other landlords? From other landlords. In Hamilton? Everywhere. I had a guy call me from Montreal. Huh. He's like, I saw it in Montreal. Okay, so, so, tell I, me, so, so what did you do? You took on a few more buildings? Or what I ended happens up, next? So basically... So I, this is the formation now of your property management company? I was with that other company for a, a couple more years, uh, or sorry, a couple more months, and then I decided, yeah, it was time to kind of break out on my own. Okay, so you were operating that building, but working under another property management Correct. company. Yeah. Got it. Okay, yeah. okay. And then uh, once people started approaching me... I'm an entrepreneur. I can't really work for people. I don't like working for other people. It frustrates me because I know what I need to prioritize. And sometimes that doesn't align with the company. So I have to be out on my own. Um, maybe that's a weakness of mine. So I, when I started getting these in, uh, people, I just started saying, yes, I, I have a bad habit of, you know, someone throws a task at me and says, can you do it? And I'm like, yeah, I'll figure it out. It's the same thing when they said, do you have a bus? I don't have a bus, but I'll figure it out. Uh, Richard Branson, good example is, you know, if someone gives you an opportunity of a lifetime, say yes, even if you don't know how to do it, figure it out later. I don't know if throwing a bad building at, at someone is an opportunity of a lifetime. So I love your mental state that you're, that's the opportunity of a lifetime. No, well, here's the thing. No one else was giving me yeah, anything, anything else. Yeah, that so that was, was my only opportunity. And I could have been stuck up and said, I don't want to manage this place. And then I would have had nothing, but I turned it into a positive. Um, and then next thing you know, I get all of these other opportunities coming towards me saying, do you want to manage this? Do you want to manage that? And so that's where unlimited residential started coming in, where I started, you know, forming my own business and building this little, uh, property management company. Um, and then I really started to set my sights on bigger, grander, high end properties. Um, right around this time, right around 2018, 2019, the landlord tenant climate um, really soured. I mean, I think everyone knows, you know, there's a million articles in the paper about, you know, high rents and bad landlords and slumlords and the vacancy that's going on. And, uh, so I really wanted to change that dynamic. I really want to rethink the way that people rent apartments. And that's what I am doing with, with unlimited residential, um, given my history in hospitality, because also being in the car business, um, and, serving some of the most wealthy and most demanding, I learned a lot about how to keep people happy. And I also worked with hotels a lot. So I want to take that hospitality experience and put it into the property management business, which I believe had grown very stagnant. It was very much a super with a plunger. The idea is that the same guy who's plunged someone's toilet 20 minutes ago just showed you an apartment. That doesn't make sense to me. And I started also thinking back, how do buildings end up in the way that you know, this building was, I said, what's the cause? I mean, it opened up as a beautiful luxury residence back in the seventies and somewhere along the line, something happened. And one of my old bosses said, we trust supers who make 
dollars $30,000 a year to run $20, $30 million buildings. How does that make sense? You wouldn't tell the CEO of a company to make $20,000 a year to run a $20 million company. That's the flaw with the super. So I- Because the super is sometimes, not sometimes, they're screening for new tenants, correct. accepting first and last month's rent. They're, they're acting as, you're right, they're running the whole, the whole thing. They're sometimes taking the garbage out or at least to the curb or moving it to a different area of the parking lot if that needs to be done. So they're all doing all kind of weird tasks. Exactly. And so if you have a great super, that works. The problem is finding someone who's competent, who can do that job for little money as uh, landlords allocate for the superintendent role. So I'm changing this dynamic and I introduced the concept of having a concierge. I introduced, take the super out of the picture, give the unit back, put it back into the rental. And landlords are all for that because now rentals are charging more money. So rather than give up a $500 apartment for the super to live in, now you're giving up a $1,500 unit for a super to live in, or you can rent it out. Um, so that creates more value for the properties, so on and so forth, right? So now I have leasing agents. These are trained leasing agents. They are vetting my applications. They're doing background checks, credit checks, you know, social media checks, the whole nine yards. Why? Because the person you let into your building can positively or negatively impact the sense of community that's in there. I always say that I'm not renting an apartment to a person. I'm renting the empty space to fill, uh, on behalf of every other tenant in that building. If I put in one bad apple, I'm going to hear about it from every other tenant. They're going to say, hey, Adam, that new person you put in 101, they're an issue, and I'm the guy who did it, right? So I'm not renting to you, the person. I'm renting on behalf of the building, and I need to make sure that you fit that mold because, um, like I said, one bad tenant can really do a lot of damage in a building because the landlord-tenant board restrictions make it very difficult to remove tenants, um, so what have you found? What are your, some of your favorite criteria for figuring out if someone's going to be a good fit or not? Um, because I've met a lot of great people, I'm a really good judge of character. So I pretty much know the minute before I show an, the, the minute I show an apartment, I know whether I'm going to give the apartment to him or not, regardless of the background check. So you're going on your gut feel. I'm going a lot on gut <laughs> yeah. feel. The problem is other people, my employees don't have my gut. So I have to show them the techniques that I use. Um, and I always say that renting an apartment is like a first date. You're going on a first date with every applicant that walks through that door. They're going to put on their best behavior. They're going to look nice. They're going to do the part. They're not going to tell you any of the stuff that they don't want to tell that you no. wouldn't say on a first and date. And it all changes once first and last and the keys are hand exchanged. Exactly. It seems to all change. You're on date. Correct. You're, you've gone from first date to date 150 immediately. Immediately. <laughs> and the problem is, well, if you make that mistake wrong uh, or if you, if you rent to the wrong tenant, it's, th there's no undoing that lease. Um, so again, you have to vet very, very carefully and very, very closely. Um, it must be working. I've rented probably 500 apartments in the last couple years and I have not evicted a single person I've placed. But you're not just depending on your gut. You're, you're running credit checks. Oh, regardless. Yeah. yeah. I mean, my gut tells me that I'm going to rent to this person. I still do the background check. I got still it. check their credit just to make sure. But I'm at the point now where I meet someone, I'm like, okay, I got it. This is the guy who's going to get it. I still run the credit check just to be sure there's no any issues yeah, that I didn't get catch. Good at it. But I'm very much at the point where if even if I didn't, I'd probably feel comfortable letting someone in. We, I, we've worked with a lot of investors who I guess are so passionate about the new home. And we do more single family home stuff than yeah. multi-units, but some multis as well. But uh, some, you know, someone will get their first rental property and they're so like... 
they've painted it, they've cleaned it, they're, it's immaculate. And someone, they've never rented out a property before. They've never dealt with the general public before yep. in any capacity. You know, white collar type job, worked in an office. Now they're going out to rent properties and they be, they believe everything they're being told. And we've had a couple of circumstances where an investor will hand over the keys before even collecting first and last month's rent, right? Like yep. they might get partial payment and they buy into the story how the rest is going to come in a week or whatever. And literally, I, I can't tell you, whenever that happens, when someone doesn't complete a full check on a person, income verification, even if you have a good, 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 good yep. feel, doing the full check, it always comes back to bite them. Whenever they hand over keys before getting first and last months completely upfront, it always turns into disaster. So we, uh, the biggest thing we tell everyone is if you're new at this, make sure you get at least first and last month's rent in full certified cash bank draft something before you not just a check that no, might, that might it, bounce yeah. right before you hand over the keys because so many people have good intentions and really want to help other people get into their property and, and feel like they're serving the community by renting out properties which is a great way to be i feel Absolutely. like that's a great way to be but you but they can be taken advantage of sometimes and it ruins it you know it, it ruins their first kind of investment property experience exactly so uh but I, I i'm cutting you off there so gut check you do the full credit check it's kind of freaky now that you can get social media checks on some of these i don't know which services you use i think we're using a lot of our team and investors are using neighborly right now but i think there's a whole bunch of other ones is there is there one or two that you like don't like um early on you know when i was a smaller operation we we did use neighborly we would use other uh like tenant verification services and things like that um, we're at the point now we have a full marketing division for our leasing team. So we funnel all of our leases through, um, the name is escaping me. Is it start uh, with a C? There's another big one. Anyway, it doesn't matter. It doesn't yeah. matter, but you're, so, you're funneling them through something that you guys have access to it, that is doing the same kind of thing. Exactly. So it's, it's a marketing, um, funnel that basically all of the leads, all of the inquiries go through this funnel. It gives us a pre, uh, check as well. And it also books the appointment. So basically now oh, my wow, team nice. gets uh, a notification saying you have an appointment at 12, accept or decline, boom, right? And then they, out they go. Um, that does a lot of the pre-screening for us. The other thing too is the world's a scary place. I'm putting people out in the field. I want to make sure that I know who they are meeting with uh, and we have photo IDs. So we don't show any appointments unless I have a photo ID of the person that they're meeting. Nice, I like it. Uh, um, and then once we show that apartment, they can fill out an application online through our software. The minute it's approved, it auto-populates onto our software. So that fills out a full lease. They can docu-sign. All we have to do is meet them at the end when they start to move in. The initial to say that, yes, they docu-signed. And it's as streamlined as that. How are you doing uh, rent collection? Uh, so we do automated uh, through the software. We can collect rent. They can pay EFT, direct banking, PAD, and if they really wanted to, they can also do debit and credit as well. Got it. Okay. And now, first and last is still old school conventional certified check uh, or e-transfer. Got it. Okay. Yeah. And then th we've been talking a lot about multi-unit buildings. If uh, just to kind of bring it to a single family home, because you do manage single family Correct. home. Okay. Yep. On that, how does the person who owns it, so the investor or the landlord, uh, how do they get communication from you? Is it like a monthly statement of some sort? What, how do you manage that sort of communication? Because imagine in a building... You've got some systems. It's a big building. You have your reporting. But for the individual investor that you might be managing a property, how does that work? So I have um, houses all over the place, anywhere from a single family home all the way up to four, five, six plexes. And what we do with those smaller clients 
is we do monthly reporting. So once a month, we send them out their, like we just, on May 15, we sent out the May reports, and basically it gives them an equalized view of what's going on in their property. So the idea is that they can see the rent the day it was collected, the fact that it was deposited, they then cross-reference that with their bank account to make sure that I said 1200 they see 1200 in their account. Uh, we also put in um, the spreadsheet on any maintenance that went in. We put in suggestions, we put in feedback, and we even put in tenant feedback if there's any. So if the tenant says, you know, I really love living here, they left us a positive review, we actually copy and paste that and put that in their, their report as well. And at the very bottom is our invoice. Awesome. And so then it's, it's a four or five page report. Okay, got it. So you're not, t- your invoice is at the bottom. So is the payment for your services coming off rent automatically? Um, paid separately? How do you manage that? So right now it's, uh, it, we invoice outside and then they pay us uh, through the invoice. But there is, um, as we continue to invest and get deeper into this uh, software, there will be the opportunity for every bill to also be paid through uh, our service as well. So we're going to pay their mortgage, the property taxes, the water bill, the contractor, and ourselves just by plugging it in into the software. Uh, so it's a full accounting software that we're we're putting in place. Got it. I don't know if you're going to be able to play, uh, pay somebody's mortgage though, because the bank's going to want to take that from their bank account. Bank's never going to let the mortgage payment come from like your bank account for them. If you can do that, that uh, I think a lot of people would be interested, but I think you're going to battle the big banks in Canada for that one. But I could see the other, I could see a yeah, lot of the other ones. Um, okay. And then on the, uh, the, because main- it, it goes right into their account too, right? Your, so your rent, the rent that you're depositing, correct. You're collecting, it yep. goes right, into their, it goes right sure. into their account. So we don't even, we don't have holding accounts. We don't touch the money. It goes from the tenant pays and it goes direct into their account. So we don't even, Oh really? Yep. It creates, uh, it, it eliminates that third party, got it. Uh, unnecessary. Yeah. Got it. So when the, the tenant pays, you're getting a record of it, but it's bypassing any of your accounts and going directly into the, to the Correct. landlord's account. Yeah. The only reason I need to collect the rent is so that I know that they paid the rent and I need to know the minute they pay it, because if it's not there on the first, on the second, they're getting the N4. So the only reason I need to see the rent is to make sure that the rent is being paid. And, uh, if I can also pay contract, well, I also pay contractors with that or whatever, um, but really, there's no reason for me to have it deposited into a third party or a holding account or a, or anything like that. So basically, we've kind of cut that right out of the right out of the equation. What about um, maintenance requests? How do you handle maintenance requests? Is there a limit? I mean, most property managers are going to have some limit. You know, underneath that dollar amount, you can automatically act on the property. Correct. Is that how you guys operate? What's the threshold? Is it different from apartment buildings to single family homes? It is. It does depend on the property. Um, single family homes. It's we basically cap it out at about um, anywhere from seven hundred to a thousand dollars. Got it. So if it's less than that, you're yep. just taking action, correct? Because it's just too much hassle to get requ- approvals on exactly. This stuff. Yep. And then how um, on those requests? How do you uh, charge on those? Is it just the the straight fee, a management fee on top, all blended together? I'm so, asking you this because I know that's the stuff I'd want to ask if I yep. was dealing with you. For Absolutely. <laughs> so we charge for management. Uh, we charge for leasing. And we have a maintenance division as well. Um, but I do not mark up invoices. So the invoice that I get goes direct to the owner. It's actually in their report. So if I call 123 Plumbing Company, uh, you get to see the invoice that's in your report. So you can see, yep, they charged $120 for two hours of plumbing. And that's that's the invoice. I don't have time, nor do I care. And nor does it also... So you don't want it to be a profit center for it's you? It's not a profit center. Because also what that does is... Um, I don't want people to think, oh, well, he called the plumber because he's getting 20 bucks. 
I don't, I make money on management and my job is easy when nothing goes wrong. When I'm, so I don't want to call a plumber. That means I've got to go deal with the plumbing issue, right? So I want things to run as smoothly as possible. You got so to that check my, that the plumbing was done correctly and exactly. follow up. It's a, just a big pain. How about um, N4s and just, you know, tenant board stuff? Are N4s included in the management? Is there a fee for N4s? Um, you know, just filling out the paperwork. How's that, that managed? And then L1s so as well. N4s are all auto-generated. So we can actually just print them off the minute that they no don't way. pay. Absolutely. Um, so you're like smiling with that. Yeah, there, there's yeah. no, there's no cost to that. Okay. The minute I go to court, uh, my time is free, but I, uh, I can't represent anyone in, in the board. So I would have to hire a paralegal. Um, if they know a paralegal, I go with theirs. If they want to use mine, I send mine. Um, but I go to court. If I go to court, it's on, it, it's all part of their service. I don't, uh, I don't really nickel and dime. Um, the idea is that this is my management fee. If it takes me one hour, or if it takes me 20 hours, that's all in how efficient I am with my business, my screening process, and my tenants. The um, L1 has a fee to get the time at the tenant board, you know, to file an L1. So that comes to me. That the would landlord. go to the landlord, exactly. So any out-of-pocket costs that I would incur. So yeah, the landlord-tenant board filing fee, the paralegal costs, the contractor costs, any fees okay, that so I have to pay. You're treating it like almost like a maintenance request. It just passed through. Correct. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. And then uh, what about your like geographic area? What, what area are you managing right now? Where are the properties located? I have properties all the way to Chatham as of last week. I oh. just picked up a bunch of properties out in Chatham. Uh, they go all the way down to Niagara Falls and uh, up to Kitchener-Waterloo. And then I also ended up buying a place up in Muskoka. So now I've got a, f- a property up in Muskoka. You've got a place in Muskoka because yep. you're hiding up in Muskoka because you don't want to deal with anything. I know what you're up to. Uh, well, the pro- I, I'm, I'm joking. <laughs> I'm, I'm totally joking. But, um, but when the property is spread out like that, how are you finding, like, I'm just thinking, because Nick and I started a property management arm of Rockstar. I don't know if we ever told you this. And we got it up to about, I think it was like we broke at the magical number of like 34 properties. So you probably just laugh at that. But that was just too much for us to handle. The systems were beyond our control. And the remember we were talking about the energy required to yep. start new business we were realizing that the energy invested to really grow this to like a hundred and beyond wasn't something that we were capable of at that time so we pulled back from that but uh but we did find when properties start to spread out some of our handyman contacts some of our contacts were getting a little stretched like we didn't have the rolodex where we could just call somebody up and chat them for example how are you how are you dealing with that so far i'd imagine that's a battle for you the only way to really do it is to get volume because I have to build out teams every time I go to a different location. Um, now, for Muskoka's sake, I've got you know a sister and an uncle who live up there, and it's my building of four pl- four apartments. It's not really, you know, there's nothing to manage up there. Um, so uh, I, I'm going to leave that with them. And uh, but when it comes to like Kitchener, I've got a Kitchener team. I've got a Hamilton team. Um, uh, Stratford, there's a there's a gentleman. He's my handyman there. His name's Daryl. Fantastic gentleman. Um, and he does all of my Stratford, uh, Woodstock stuff. So basically what we do is we continue to build out teams, uh, like miniature regions. And then me, I work seven days a week, you know, 14, 16 hour days every day. So I've got a lot of time on my hands. And then, uh, yeah, you, you've, you've got to put in that much time. What, what's been the biggest challenge so far for us? It was finding the software systems that would really do the reporting and some of the stuff that we wanted it to do. What has been, has it been the contacts, the software, I don't know, paralegals, what's been the challenge so far? In building all this out the software yeah 
in the software, there's like missing components in the software, I feel like. How long have you been running it at your own property management company now? Like you're like 27. It feels like you've been running it for six months, but uh, you've been talking, you've been coming, you've been banging on the door of Rockstar for, I feel like, a few years already. So how long have you been running this? Uh, two and a half years. Yeah, good for, good for yeah, you. Two and a half years. You're still standing, man. Yeah. Good for you. A lot of gray hair. Yeah, no, you got a full set of hair and I don't yeah. see any gray hair. I'm totally jealous. I have no hair. <laughs> My son's going to cut what cut he's going to cut what is left of my hair later tonight. But uh, okay, and uh, what would you like for people to know, you know, your company? What what do you want them to know about you? I I think we're getting a good sense of who you are and the way you think about this stuff. But for someone listening to this who is looking to perhaps hire a property manager, what would you like them to know about you or what would you like them to know about hiring a property manager? What are the questions they should ask? What should they check out with a property manager before they hire them? I'm sure you have opinions on this. Well, I've always said that um, when you start out in this business, it's by no means passive, right? And we, we talked about this earlier was people love to go out and buy property and then they get into the property and they're like, oh, what did I just do? Yeah. Shit, Shit, I have exactly. to follow up with this. Yeah. Um, you know, and I'll never forget what the first time a, uh, a tenant called me coward was over email because we had gone to the property and I thought we were doing so well. You know, we had done some, I think we negotiated like a lease extension, did some improvements on the property. And I guess it wasn't to their liking, but to my face, they were like just so pleasant. And, and then I got back to our office. We, up at that point, we already had a little office, tiny little room, 10 by 10 kind of room. We got back there, checked my email. They were calling me a coward through email. I think it was actually written by their girlfriend and not that particular tenant. Yep. And they were just calling me all these names. I'm like, holy shit. Like, what is, what is this property? This is just crazy property management. So uh, anyway, I cut you off. I apologize. When I first started, like I said, I, I have problems because uh, I was like, I can't work for other people. And then I found myself running my own company and realizing that I now have more bosses than I ever imagined that I would ever have. Because um, now I've got to answer to every single landlord. And then in addition to that, I have hundreds, if not thousands of tenants that are... You're squeezed, you know, man. You're right? squeezed, yeah. And so the one thing that I do is, you know, we send out a lot of, um, like we send out newsletters. And the great thing is because it's software, we can blast a thousand tenants in a, in a second and say, here's our newsletter. This is what's going on in the company. We give them the good news. We give them the bad news. We tell them our vacancies. You have a friend you want to recommend them. And you, I obviously know how the tenant is. So if they're willing to recommend a friend, I'll throw them a $200 Visa gift card. Saves me going out and trying to take a chance on someone else. So we're consistently reaching out to tenants and getting feedback, whether it be through the newsletter um, we have little door hangers. So whenever our door, um, our handyman go to your apartment, we, we leave a door hanger. And what that does is it solves a lot of confusion. Nine times out of 10, the handyman is not seen by the tenant. He goes in, fixes your air conditioner, walks out the door. You come home and you see your air conditioner is turned off and you're like, did no one show up? What's going on? This is kind of pissing me off. Well, they would call our office and we'd say, no, he was there and it works. And they go, oh, it, it's working. <laughs> you know, what we do is we leave a little hanger on the door that says we were here between one and two. We fixed your door, uh, your, your air conditioner. We changed the filter. Everything's up and running. Got any more questions? Reach out to us. And that cuts down on a lot of the follow-up calls that tenants have Smart. because they don't see what's going on. Um, so we're very vocal about what we're doing and why we're doing it. And that, um, and then we're also acting, actively seeking feedback. So I send them out saying, I'll give you a, a Visa gift card if you just send this back to me. And it has, you know, five questions usually every month. And it's, what do you think of us? What do you think of your home? What do you think of uh, the handyman? 
what are we doing right? What are we doing wrong? I can't fix something unless I don't know about it. So we send those out quite regularly. And every so often we do reach out to tenants that we haven't heard from for a while. And we say, you know, how's it going? I haven't heard from you in a while. Is everything going good? Do you want to renew your lease? I want to know that information. And it all goes back to that hospitality idea. Um, And the great thing about that too is because we're consistently reaching out to tenants, we haven't had any backlash during COVID. You know, property management companies are saying, you know, there's a keep your rent movement in in your building or, you know, all these tenants are not paying rent. On March the 18th, I sent a letter out to every single tenant saying, this COVID stuff is very, very real. We're all very scared. Here's what you need to do uh, if you are running out of money, if you need access to funds, here's the link to the SERP benefit. Here's the link to Service Ontario's specialized unemployment line for anyone who's laid off because of COVID. You need grants, you need help, you need any type of assistance. Here are all the resources you need. And then on top of that, we aren't raising anyone's rent and we aren't giving out any enforce. If you have problems raise, uh, paying your full rent, reach out to us, let us know immediately. And then we can work out a payment plan. I don't care if it's $100 a week. That's all you can pay. That's fine. Just let me know. And as a result, we've collected 97, 98% of the rent every single month. For the last three months, we've collected all of the rent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're seeing same same stuff on residential, just informally. You probably have better data on a broader scope. Yeah. We're just hearing it through different channels. But our own properties, we're having no, I shouldn't say no problem. We had a couple students yep. say, could they work something out? We introduced them to some of, it was actually one of our property managers reached them out and said, hey, just like you, here's one of the programs. Yep. They were able to get some funds that way and then true up on rent. And we were, we've been very accommodating at this time. I think you need to be. So that's smart. And that's interesting. You're collecting that much rent. It's almost like the people who didn't pay rent before are still the problem ones they just have a new excuse that's Correct. what we found that's exactly it, it. yeah yeah we found no real difference so uh, that's that's interesting on the commercial side some of our commercial sources devastate like yeah just some of it, it's devastation so that's interesting to see what how that will evolve and i'm sure not all of it i'm pr- i'm you know i'm painting pretty broad strokes when i make that comment but just a lot we're hearing on the commercial side is a little sketchier but residential that's really good to hear the um, the thing that people forget is, you know, this is an investment for very many people. And the biggest point that, you know, has kind of come up is, you know, it's an investment to these people. Well, the problem is if people feel like they're just a number on a spreadsheet, they don't care if they pay their rent anymore. For me, I'm adding a human component to it, which is why the tenant experience is so important for me. I want my tenants to know that I genuinely want to answer every single concern. You know, I don't want to see... Plumbing leaks, I don't want to see roof leaks. I don't want to deal with those types of things just as much as they don't, right? I want my weekends off, you know? So I want to run my buildings as smooth and as well as possible. And I find that happier tenants give me a lot more free time than angry ones. Um, and by coming forth and being saying, look, we're human and we're going through something that we've never done through before, gone through before, we're here to help you. We're in the same boat as you guys. Um, and what that does is I think it kind of, you know, Reminded tenants that, yeah, you're not just unit 101. You're actually, you know, Jim or Joe or, you know, whoever. And and on the other side, when I speak to landlords, is I, I remind them that, look, for the last five years, we've been riding high. We've done very well with our investments. You need to understand that when you go into business, there are bad parts. You're going through the bad part right now. Um, and residential real estate is a long-term game. So if you're trying to make a money money now, you're in the wrong mindset. You need to think 10 years down the road, 
when all of the COVID stuff is behind us, you're still going to have that property. It's going to be, you know, a valuable investment that you're going to pass on for generations. So stop thinking about the three months where your tenants were struggling because you went a full year making great rent. And a year from now, you're going to be making great rent. Again, you're just going through a ripple. I'm sure you had some landlords panic. I, I did. Yeah. It sounds like you did a fairly good job of talking them off the edge, though. Sounds yeah. like your newsletter idea of communicating with tenants, that's really a advanced idea. Good for you. You do that, what, is that's an email that goes out every we, month? We do emails, but we also have hard copies. Uh, I have a lot of senior tenants as well, and that's where the software starts to fail. Um, I'm not going to force anyone to sign on or, or do something that they don't want to so do. So you drop off a paper-based newsletter? Correct. Yep. We're big fans of that. Yep. Good job. Yep. Wow. Well, I mean, some people, I mean, younger generation, sure, they love everything on email, and the COVID has kind of brought forced us to bring everything online. Um, so that's been good for us because we can now streamline a lot of the processes. But the one thing that I'm not going to remove is the human component. The one thing that I will say, supers, the business model doesn't work, but what the super does right is he puts a face in a building. I don't care whether there's a, this false sense of security that, you know, the, the super is the guard, the front door. He's the guy who's standing there and is going to stop from all the bad people from coming in and stealing all of your stuff. That's not going to happen. The minute anything bad happens, he's going to do what we all do. He's going to run out of a fiery building. He's not going to save you. He's not a firefighter. He's not the cops. But it provides that psychological human component, the fact that you can go down the hall, knock on someone's door and say, my tap is leaking, and actually speak to someone who's not on the other end of an email. So your newsletters replace, that's how you've tried to keep that human component in front of everybody? Correct. The, well, for the time being as well. That's one component. Um, one, the other reason is we have our home technicians, the, the people who service the apartments are the same people every single time. So it removes that, well, who, who are you letting into my apartment? A, a licensed plumbing company. Yeah, but who's the guy? Uh, Joe. Who's Joe? Is he a weirdo? I don't know. It's a licensed plumbing company. Like he's a, he's a respectable company. When we send my guys, when I say Irwin's coming to change your tap, they go, oh, Irwin, I love him. He's got the cutest little, you know, uh, granddaughter, whatever it is. You know, th there's that human component to it. Got they it. know who he is. And how have you found people entering during these times? Uh, because you've had to do service calls. Correct. So people have been okay, I guess, depending on the ur urgency of the call. So we do all of the standard screening questions that you want um, everyone to do, which is where have you been out of the country? Are you feeling ill? Um, have you experienced any coughs or colds or anything like that? And then we even go as far as asking the tenants to stay in a bedroom or in another room behind a closed door so that our technicians can work safely. It's not something I like to do. I would like, you know, well, like that I, sounds reasonable you know, during it, these it, times. Exactly. Yeah. Um, the other thing that we do is in our larger properties, uh, we have full time staff that I don't have an office. I don't have a big building where all of my property managers sit and hang out and have meetings. We're in the buildings. So when we're working, we're in someone's building. So that way you can still come down and talk to your concierge, which is uh, what we call our administrators. Our administrators work in the buildings that they manage. So from nine to five, you can go out and talk to Adele uh, about your, your leak. If you know, so we're, we're placing the superintendent function, um, by creating different means, uh, and, and just changing the rules up, but that's what keeps the human component. That's the sense of community. And then we back that up with the newsletters. And then as soon as we're allowed to gather in public, we're going to start holding public events again. Um, we've got barbecues on sites. We've got terraces. We've got beautiful lawns. I want to have barbecues. I want to get the hamburgers turning and, and whatnot. 
we can't do that now, but the minute that happens, we're going to start doing that again. And so when the tenants see you doing stuff outside of, you know, just the standard collecting of rent, that reminds them that they're not just that number on a spreadsheet. Um, and when you pick your tenants, right, I have more time to do that. I always tell, and I tell my tenants that too. They says, well, what are the rules of the building? I'm like, if you behave yourself, take care of the building, pay your rent on time, don't piss off your neighbors and don't put holes where there were holes where there were no holes before you do those three things. I don't care what you do. Um, and I just don't want to hear about it. Right. Have guests over, have friends over, make this your home because the more time I spend chasing someone after their behavior or their rent, that takes away time that I should be setting up parties and barbecues and events and thinking of creative ways of how do I improve the tenant experience? I've reached out to small businesses that I feel would be a benefit to my tenants. We're in talks with an automotive partner saying, offer my tenants $500 off a, a lease or whatever. Give me, tell me what I can do to literally give my tenants to you and say, buy a car from this guy. And I don't care if it's pickup drop-off service. You know, you come to my building and my building only, you'll pick up my tenants and take them to the dealership to go and get their car serviced whatever that is. And I talk to businesses all the time that I feel could be a benefit. And why? Because I've got really good tenants, so I have the time to do that. Um, and that's the stuff that's, that, that doesn't affect my bottom line. It doesn't make me any wealthier. It doesn't do anything for my business except create a better tenant experience. And the more I can focus on that, um, the easier my job becomes. People remember that, you know, I can't remove the vacancy crisis, you know, we, we, I'm not building homes. I can't build enough homes. I can't do anything about the rental, uh, prices or anything like that. What I can do is I can make sure that they feel valued in their apartment and that the rent that they pay, they feel like they, they get the value out of it. Um, and it's, it's as good as I am as getting them into the building. Once they're in the building, I have to get them to stay. I don't want to, I, I don't want to lose a tenant. The only time I want to lose a tenant is if they're going from my apartment to a mortgage and they bought their home or they're moving out of country or something like that. I don't want just someone to say, Oh, I don't like it here and move. And that even when that happens, the minute someone gives me a notice, I reach out to them. I say, why are you moving? Is everything okay? Are you upset with me? Are you upset with my team? Is there anything that I can do for you? Right? Or are you moving down the street? Are you moving to another property? Or do you need to go bigger, smaller? What if I put you at another one of my buildings? I've got lots of buildings. You don't like this one. I can take you somewhere else. Right? So, all that sort of stuff is what I think about when I'm managing my properties is how do I turn this into property? And the other thing too, is I don't use properties. I call them destinations. You're staying with us. You're our guest. You're a resident, not a tenant. I'm not the landlord. I'm just the, uh, the, the customer service team that's here to support your living arrangements. Um, for owners, this is an investment, but for tenants, it's their home. And so I have to find the happy medium between the two of them. Um, and so that's kind of what I think about when it's, when it's property management, it's not just pushing paper. It's, it's about, okay, we've got them in here. Now, how do we keep them happy? How do we keep, and, and I find as well, maintenance is lower, complaints are lower, turnover is lower. As soon as you have happy tenants. Adam Kitchener, you're an interesting cat. I'm pumped for you. You love this business and it shows. So good for you, man. So if anyone's listening to this, how do they, what you give us the URL? How do they find you? How do they reach you? Whether it's a tenant who wants to rent in one of your buildings, a landlord investor who wants you to manage some of their properties because you do, I just want to repeat, it's multi-units and single family homes. Correct. Pretty much all over the geographical areas you were talking about. Yep. How does someone find you? 
If you want to find uh, my website, it's rentunlimited.ca. It's a brand new site we're actually working on right now, uh, rentunlimited.ca. And then you can it's reach... live now though. It's not live quite yet. Okay. Um, we're, it... we're going to be publishing this this week. So tell me how they can find you today. Oh, they can still go there and okay. it'll take us to oh, the old got site. It. Okay. Got it. Got uh, it. We're, we're, we're tweaking the site to be more user-friendly and add more benefits. Okay. Right? But contact information's on there. Absolutely. Rentunlimited.ca. They can also reach me at adam at rentunlimited.ca. Adam at rentunlimited.ca. Yeah. I, dude, I don't know what to say. I've never heard somebody talk about all this stuff with property management with the passion that you have. Good to get to know you a little Thank bit you. better. Thanks for coming during these times and chatting about this information and sharing this stuff. Really appreciate you, man. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, everyone. So hopefully you enjoyed that chat with Adam Kitchener. The URL to reach him again is rentunlimited.ca and it's adam at rentunlimited.ca. Thanks for listening. And if you are listening to this and you want some real estate information, the YouTube channel that we've spending the most time on right now is our own at youtube.com forward slash rockstar inner circle. We have a bunch of videos that we've put out covering all different topics, real estate related. So you can find those at www.youtube.com forward slash rockstar inner circle. That's it for now. Until next time, your life, your terms.